say and read uh, our passages from memory. And I was like, really, that whole big, long passage? And he goes, yeah, you did a fantastic job, buddy. Congratulations. We appreciate that. And what a, what a testimony, too, for memorizing Scripture. Wow, thank you very much. Thank you. So as Micah read, th these are not new verses. Pastor Scott has been doing a series on God's war. Um, and he's gone through several things, and we, this passage is one of them that he went through here just a few weeks ago as we begin talking about and learning about this war and these battles that we are in every single day. And I, when he asked me to speak today, I wanted to continue on that theme because I, I really believe that this is an important topic for us to understand. We are at war. And I'm not just talking about what's happened here over the weekend with the nation of Israel and Hamas and everything that's going over there. I am talking about what it says right here in Ephesians chapter 6, that we are in a war, but not against flesh and blood. There is an enemy that we have that wants to take us out and to keep us from doing the things that God wants us to do, and his name is Satan. And Pastor Scott has spoken a lot about that. I want to focus on a very specific passage or one of the um, verses in here. If you look at verse 18, what Micah just repeated here from memory, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, praying at all times. Has, has anybody here ever been asked, been asked to do something that seemed impossible or really was impossible? I, I know I get asked to do a lot of things, and there are a lot of things that seem to be impossible. I'm, I'm going to give us a few examples. One, have you ever been asked to read anything with your eyes closed? Nearly impossible, right? I mean, you, you just can't do it. Uh, what about fly? without assistive devices. Get on top of the building and fly. Guys, please don't try this. I know what college kids are like. I know you're gonna go back over to campus. Don't try to do it, it ends badly, okay? Have you ever tried to walk on walls? And I'm not talking about Lionel Richie's, you know, dancing on the ceiling, but you know, just walk up to the wall and try to walk up it. Anybody done that? It's like impossible just to walk barefoot up a wall. What about being more places than one at one time? I know as a father, as a teacher, and everything else, sometimes I wish I could clone myself so I could be in multiple places to get things done, but I can't do it. I can either be here or I can be there. I can't be in two places at once. Now, this last one is the one that really gets me. Have you ever tried to lick your elbow? Somebody's going to do it. I know you are. I did. <laughs> okay? I know you're going to try it. But for most people, it's nearly impossible to lick your elbow. Come back and let me know next week who tried it, and if you can. I really want to see how you did it. There are some things that we are asked to do that seem impossible or are impossible. But then there are some things that we are asked to do, like persevering, to pray all the time. And in our minds, that may seem impossible, but it's really not. It's a choice in whether or not we can find the time to do things. I'll give you another quick example. This past week, most people know that I have the privilege of teaching up at Summit Charter School. I'm the middle school math teacher up there. 
but I also coached several sports throughout the year, and I just finished coaching uh, our boys and girls, middle school boys and girls cross country team. We're getting ready to wrap up high school. And throughout the season, um, I would ask the kids to do what they thought was impossible, uh, as we'd be doing sprints. I'm like, I want you to shave a second off that time as we're running up hills. And they're like, Coach Buck, I can't do anything more. And I'm like, you can because you're talking to me, so you're not done yet. Let's go run another hill. Let's run another lap around the school. Let's, let's do what seems to be impossible, but at some point, they have to stop. And, and through perseverance, when we think about praying always or all the time, we think about never ceasing. And Paul, we're going to talk about that here in a moment, actually says that, to pray without ceasing. But at some point, the things that we do in our lives, daily lives, we have to stop. So what are we actually being told? My cross-country runners can't keep running forever and ever. They're, they're going to run out of energy at some point. There's only so many times they can go up the hill, but they can persevere and they can still win, which both my boys and my girls' team did this past Thursday. They both won their championship meets uh, and brought that home. And it was because of their perseverance and the work that they put in throughout the season to make that happen. So I'm very proud of them. Usain Bolt may be fast, but at some point, he's going to run out of energy and stop, right? There's only so much we can do when we are asked to continue going. So what is it that we are actually being told to pray at all times? Well, Paul exhorts us to pray at all times in these verses with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints. There's a lot of alls in there. But they must be pretty important if Paul is saying that and if God is wanting Paul to say that to us. Paul also makes a very similar claim. We've already spoke about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Let me flip over there real quick. He says, actually, let me start back at verse 12. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So first of all, Paul knows that when he's telling us to pray without ceasing, that we can't pray all the time because he also says here that he knows that we're working. So we, we need to understand that, that there's something going on here that our lives can't be 100% prayer because we're also doing other things like working. We were, uh, one of the things we were created to do was to work here on this earth. But it says, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So these are other things that we're supposed to be doing while we're praying at all times. This, this one's really hard. Or Sorry, I'm off a of verse. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now this gets hard. Rejoice always. Does anybody struggle to rejoice always? This is like praying all the time, rejoice always. I find myself in some situations, I don't know about you guys, but I don't feel like rejoicing. Sometimes I find myself in some difficult situations where I'm stressed out, and I'm just like, what is there to rejoice about here? But it says we're supposed to rejoice always. Then he comes in in verse 17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. How am I supposed to do all these other things and pray without ceasing? Then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Oh, my. 
there are some circumstances I do not feel like giving thanks for. Let's just be honest. Sometimes I may be sick. Why should I be thankful in this? Sometimes I may have a family or a loved one in a hospital, or maybe I've got a friend who's not doing well, or financial stresses, work stresses. But Paul is sitting here saying, give thanks. And why is that? Because God is present in every situation if we will stop and recognize that he is there. But too many times we're too busy to even recognize that God is right there with us. And that's exactly where Satan wants us in this war. He wants us busy so we can't rejoice, so we can't give thanks, and so we can't pray without ceasing. So how can we pray at all times? Well, we have to remember that this war that we're in back in Ephesians is not against flesh and blood. It's not about the people that are sitting here next to us. This war is against God's enemy, our enemy, Satan. And Scott has done a fantastic job talking about that enemy over the last several weeks. So how do we pray with at all times or without ceasing? Well, number one, this does not mean that our life should be nothing but prayer. We just looked at some other examples and how we're supposed to uh, look up to the people that are working and help those people who are uh, uh, our managers that are over us, how we're supposed to be rejoicing at all times. Let's be honest, we've got to get up, we've got to go to work, we've got to go to school, we've got to study, we've got to pay the bills, we've got errands to run. But we should, at all times, be finding a way to persevere in prayer. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us to do, persevere in prayer. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, let's just stop real quick. I want you to look in a mirror and think about your prayer life. Because that's what I've had to do putting this message together. I think we can all admit we're probably not where we should be. I'd be the first to raise my hand and tell you, I know I'm not. Satan knows how to keep me busy, keep me from praying, because if I'm focused on the busyness of my life, I'm not focusing on the opportunities to pray for the things in my life that God wants me to pray for. And in those moments, I'm losing little battles in God's war. I am so thankful and so grateful that God is not relying upon me to fight this war for him. It is all him, and as Scott has said, the war has been won. When you read Revelation, the war has been won. But sometimes we can feel defeated in our daily lives because Satan keeps us busy and we don't pray. We, we were talking about this back here in the back before the service and just how Satan wants to keep us busy because then we cannot focus on the goodness of God. So have you ever told somebody that I will pray for you and then forget to? Again, I'm going to put my hand up. I have done this so many times where I'm sitting there talking to somebody. They're telling me something that's going on in their life. They've been sick. They're going through this particular, in CR terms, hurt habit or hang up. They're struggling with something in their life. And I say, I will pray for you. And after that conversation ends, I go on. Satan goes, I've got him. He gets me busy on something else. And guess what? I, I forget. I just lied to that person. And I did not help them in their battle 
that they are facing in this overarching war that is going on here on this earth between us and Satan and these other authorities and rulers and principalities that are happening. Why don't we just tell people that we'll pray for them? I, I don't like telling people, I'll pray for you and then walking away because I know I'm going to forget. It is too easy, and that's exactly what Satan wants for us to do. He does not want us to use one of the most powerful spiritual weapons that God has given us to use, and that is prayer, persevering prayer. And he definitely doesn't want us praying, according to Ephesians, at all times with all perseverance for all of the saints. So what does praying at all times mean? It does not mean that your life, again, should be 100% prayer. But it does mean that your life needs to be centered around prayer. We all have things we need to do. When you're at the, at the grocery store, at work, at school, even in front of the post office, you have the opportunity to pray for people. Maybe you're standing there in line at the grocery store with your buggy full of groceries and you see somebody in front of you who doesn't have very much, doesn't look like they could afford very much. Maybe what that person needs is a little bit of prayer while you're standing there waiting. Many years ago, right before I moved up here, I was in front of the post office in the town I lived in and my high school geometry teacher walked up to me and we got to talking. It had been many, many years since I had seen her and um, we just got to talking. She found out that I was in the ministry and she was like, hey, I know you're in the ministry. I would love for you to pray for me about something. And she told me what was going on in her life. And I was like, Ms. Morgan, I'd love to tell you I'd pray for you, but I'm probably going to forget. Can I pray for you right now? She goes, absolutely. We moved out of the way of the doors of the post office, kind of went off to the side just a little bit. And we stood there and prayed. There were many things that happened in that moment. One, I didn't lie to her and tell her I was going to pray for her later when I wouldn't. Two, she got the prayers she needed and that she asked for. And three, the testimony of our prayer out there in a public place so other people could see that we aren't afraid to pray wherever we need to was something that probably other people got a blessing out of as well. So I want to encourage you, if you do anything else, Stop the moment that you are asked or that you feel led to and pray. It could be in your cubicle at work. Maybe you've got a commute from your home to work. Maybe you've got downtime while you're at work or maybe you're at school and you're between classes or whatever the case may be. Stop when you're asked or prompted by the Spirit and immediately pray. Because I promise you, you will be more blessed if you do so. Why should we pray at all times? And that, that was a, a great question. I, I hear Paul say this, we should pray at all times. We should pray without ceasing. There's many other verses where we are told that we need to do things all the time, and specifically prayer, but why? And, and I'm the kind of person that I've got to understand the why if it's going to make sense to me. And I think once we understand the why, then we can move forward and we can actually do a better job because now it's not just, I need to say these words, Lord, thank you for this food, amen. No, 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 no. There's a purpose behind what we're supposed to be praying. And that's going to be the first point that I make under the why, because every prayer has a purpose. Every prayer has a purpose. Now, there may be one purpose to your prayer. When you're sitting down with your family or friends, you're praying over your food, thanking God for the blessings, it's a thank you. We are blessed. You may have multiple purposes for your prayer. 
Maybe you're spending your quiet time and you're sitting here going through a list of people that you know are sick or in the hospital or not doing well or battling cancer or some other d disease. Or maybe you know that there are things out there that are coming up in your life that you're praying for and asking for. Maybe you're just stopping and saying as many times I've had where I've reached a bottom point in my life and I've just had to stand in my front room and go, God, I can't do this. I need you. And you pour your heart out. Every prayer has a purpose. And when we pray that purpose, it gives that prayer more meaning. We don't just want idle words, things just coming out of our mouth, just, just to fill up space. Every prayer has a purpose. And Jesus actually gives us a model. I'm going to flip back over to Matthew chapter 6. He gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Actually, I'm going to start back at verse 7. It says, and when you pray, do not hemp, uh, heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't, don't just make it empty words. There are a lot of people out there that can say some really fancy sounding prayers. Sometimes I get really jealous. I'm like, ooh, that's a big word. I want to use that one. But there's nothing behind it. It means nothing to them because they're just, they want to look good. They want to sound good. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Make your words have meaning. Allow them to have a purpose. Jesus goes on to say, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Oh boy. He knows what you're going to come and ask him. He already knows what the answer is going to be. He already knows what you're going to ask him for in the position that you're going to come and ask it. And that right there should be very humbling. That he already knows what we're going to come to him with. So don't make it full of empty. God doesn't need to hear our eloquence because it's not very eloquent. He needs to hear our heart. He needs us to be bowed down and have our heart open and exposed so that way we can have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with him that is so very important that he desires to have with us and that we should desire to have with him. So do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And Jesus gives us this model prayer which we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So in this model, Jesus tells us that some of the reasons we should be praying are, one, to glorify God, hallowed be your name, to see, seek God's will, Find what he wants us to do today. God, how can I be more like your son, Jesus Christ, today? So that way others who see me can sit here and see you instead of me. We are to put our full faith in God that he will provide our needs. This is one I really struggle with. Because I, I like to be in control, especially of my life. I can't control everything else. But I want to know that today is taken care of. And I will work really hard to make sure that today from front to end is taken care of. And on the days I can't. It's humbling to go, God, I can't do it. I need for you to do it for me. And if we're honest, we all try to shove our lives into this mold that we want it to be when God says, I'm supposed to be the potter. You're supposed to be the clay. We're supposed to allow him to shape our lives. 
We are to ask for forgiveness. I have to spend a lot of time in prayer asking for forgiveness because I'm constantly doing things wrong or not doing things that I, I know I should, prayer, or sins of omission and commission, things that I do and things that I don't do. We're also supposed to forgive those who hurt us. When somebody does something that affects me in my life, I, I shouldn't want to sit here and go, mm, I'll get you back. Rather, I should sit there and say, Father, you forgave me. I caused your son, Jesus, to have to go to the cross. Please help me to forgive this person like you forgave me. Those are, those are some, some of the ways we could pray. We're also supposed to seek God's divine path, the path away from sin. We're to recognize God's power and his glory. If you don't know what to pray for, start there. Just praise God for who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do in your life if we allow him to. But the, these aren't the only reasons. They're just some very good ones that we can use. My second point about the why of prayer is prayer is powerful. Do we understand truly how powerful prayer is? I, I, I don't think we do. Scott has presented some really great things about the world that we can't see, demonic activity and the, these, these forces that are out here that want to keep us from a relationship with God. And I promise you, this is church, and we're here this morning to worship and praise God, but Satan or his demons are here trying to keep you from hearing what God wants you to hear and to keep you from worshiping God because he can steal your joy even if you're a believer. You need to know that wherever you are, there's somebody, some enemy that is there trying to keep you from enjoying God's presence and God's will in your life. But in Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, right after he gives us the Lord's Prayer, says that if we ask, we'll receive what we ask for. That's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. Now, we didn't come to a conclusion in the first service, but does anybody know what the Powerball jackpot's up to? A lot. It's a lot. It's over a billion dollars. Last number I saw was like $1.4 billion. From previous experience, I don't think if we pray to God and say, God, if you allow me to win the Powerball jackpot, I will be the best tither Webster has ever seen. I don't think that's the prayer God is wanting us to pray. Okay. Past life, I prayed that prayer many a times, and I can tell you I am not on the list of Powerball winners. That is not what God is saying. What God is saying is that when we are in a right relationship with him, when we are seeking his will, when we are looking for what he is looking for, when we sit down and bow down and pray, we are going to be praying for the things in our life that he wants for us, and when we ask for those things, he is going to give it to us. And how amazing is that? that God wants us to have. He's going to give us all the things he wants for us to have in the first place. That is pretty powerful. We can't pray selfishly. When we think about what, how powerful prayer is in Matthew, we see that prayer can cast out demons. In Psalms, we see that it overcomes enemies. In 2 Kings, it has conquered death. In James, it brings healing. Also in James, we see that God, through prayer, opens eyes, changes hearts, heals wounds, 
and grants wisdom. All pretty wonderful, powerful things. I'd like to give you a, a real quick personal example of the power of prayer. Uh, my wife Kelly and I, we have um, uh, a daughter named Ava. She will be 18 in December. When she was born, she was 15 weeks premature, one pound, three ounces uh, at the time she was born. So very, very tiny baby, 12 inches long. Her head was slightly bigger than a silver dollar. Uh, and we were told that uh, in the first few weeks that she probably would not make it. We were actually advised to take her off of life support uh, due to the types of support that she was on. And that if we did not, we were making a choice to have a daughter uh, that would live a life probably with cerebral palsy, MS, blindness. She would probably have to be on a ventilator her entire life in a wheelchair, et cetera, et cetera. We weren't in church at the time like we needed to, but we knew enough to go home and ask people to pray. And so we did, and we went home and prayed. And a week after we got this bad news from this panel of doctors, she came off the high-frequency ventilator she was on um, and went on a conventional ventilator. She was on that ventilator a week, came off, went on a CPAP. She was on CPAP for a week, came off, and just went to oxygen through a nasal cannula, was on that a week, came off, and has never been on anything ever since. And for those of you who know Ava, you know she is a wonderful young lady um, that is here at Webster and enjoys coming to worship with us as a church. She is truly an apple of our eye, in our eye. Her doctor, while she was in the ICU, um, he was going to a conference. We didn't know that this had happened, but he was presenting the findings of a medical study he did on babies in the NICU. And that study was the power of prayer on babies. Okay, this is interesting. And he showed through a blind study, he did not know which kids were being prayed for, which ones were not. It was done just like with a, a, a medicine trial. But those, those babies that had people, and the more people who prayed for them, the better the results. Those babies who had people praying for them had lower infection rates, lower mortality rates, and were discharged from the hospital much quicker than those babies who did not. Tell me that there is not power in prayer. And if God can do that for a little baby in a NICU, he can do it for you in your life too. And that's what this comes down to. Prayer is powerful. The third point I want to make about the why of prayer is that prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a privilege. In the Old Testament, if you think all the way back to when the nation of Israel was coming out of Egypt, God asked them to collect silver and gold and fine linens and threads and everything and build a temple that he would reside in and that the people could worship him in. And inside that temple, there were two rooms. There was a holy place. And behind this really thick curtain that had gold threads and everything going through, it was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was God's presence where he would meet with the people of Israel. There were only two people allowed in the Holy of Holies in this tabernacle. One was Moses. And Moses met with God before the tabernacle was even built. He would go up on the mountain. He would talk with God. He got the Ten Commandments up there. As a matter of fact, it was so frightening, he would come down and his face would be glowing. 
And the nation of Israel is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want any part of this God thing. This is a little scary. You're glowing, Moses. So Moses would start wearing a, a veil over his face to hide God's glory that had so permeated his skin that he glowed when he would come down the mountain. And he'd go back up, he'd take the veil off, and he'd be in God's presence again at the top of the mountain. So Moses was allowed in God's presence, and then also the chief priests. But the chief priests had limitations. He could only go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. So they would sacrifice their animals. He would take the blood in to do, do an atonement for sins. He had to wear his ceremonial garb. He had to do all these things that were very ritualistic. And if he didn't, if he wasn't careful and didn't do it exactly the way God prescribed, God would say, you didn't do it right. It's time for you to not be here anymore. And because that was such a pervasive fear, the other priest would tie a rope around his leg in the event that he was died or was killed in the Holy of Holies. They couldn't go in to get him. So the only way to get him out is to pull him out with a rope. So that way they could bury his body, etc. Get a new chief priest. But only on the Day of Atonement. I think to where we are today. God set that up and said, two people can come before me, actually be in my physical presence here on earth. But then Jesus showed up. And Jesus began walking this earth, and everybody was in his presence. And he got up on a cross, and he died for us. And the moment he died, and he said, Tetelestai, it is finished, the ground began to shake and quake. The dead in Christ began to rise up out of the graves. And in that moment at the temple, over on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that big, massive, thick curtain that they say was about four to six inches thick, ripped from top to bottom, exposing the Holy of Holies. Because at that point, we no longer needed a curtain between us and God. Jesus became our intercessor. Now there is no curtain keeping us from being able to approach God in his presence. Instead, we have the opportunity to bow down and approach God with who we are and say, here I am, I humble myself before you. And we don't take advantage of it. I can't imagine how many people in the nation of Israel would have loved to have been able to go into the Holy of Holies and see what was going on and to experience God's presence. And we have that opportunity, but we choose not to take it. Prayer and coming in front of God and being in his presence through that time together is truly a, a, uh, a privilege. We now have full access to the Holy of Holies. When we pray, we stand in the presence of God. And don't we want to be in God's presence all the time without ceasing? That's what heaven's going to be like. Is in front of God all the time without ceasing. Which brings us back to our present situation. To pray at all times with all perseverance for all the saints. Perseverance is tough, let's be honest. It's so much easier to quit, especially when it gets really tough. Many times we do. When we do, we've lost that little battle. The enemy wins. We may seem like, God, where are you? What were you doing? And God is like, you just didn't keep going. I asked you to run one more hill, Orlando, and you stopped. 
I asked you to bow down and just say thank you one more time, and you didn't. I asked you to pray for your friend who was struggling, and instead of praying for them, you got busy. You had other more important things to do, and now your friend is in a place where they didn't want to be because you didn't ask, you didn't receive. And I want to give you all that I have. My cross-country runners this past week had to persevere as they would run by doing their laps around our course. They'd be like, great job, two more laps. Great job, one more lap. And they looked like they wanted to quit. You could see it on their faces. They were sweaty and they were looking at me going, if I quit, what is this guy going to say to me? I'm, I'm their biggest cheerleader, I really am. But they kept going. And guess what? They won that battle. Both my boys and my girls' cross-country teams won their, their tri-state conference championship meets. They did a very, very good job. But we have to persevere. When our phases are red, when we're sweating, when we feel like we just can't do anymore because Satan, the enemy, has just beat us down over and over and over again, and we're like, why does it matter anyway? That's when we need to pray the most. That's when we need to keep going. Even Paul says it's not easy, this war, this race that we're in. In his letter to Timothy, his second letter, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul used these exact same words. I fought a good fight. May not have won every battle, but boy, I sure did do my best. I finished the race. I may not have been in first place, but I also didn't give up before I crossed the finish line. And that is what we are being asked to do every single day is just to not give up. Because when we give up, the battle starts heading the other direction. And that, that is not what God wants for any of us. Now, again, I am so thankful that at the end, we know the war is won. But it's the little battles, the day-to-day -day things we see, sometimes multiple times per day, that we need to be confident that God is there with us. And that's when we stand up and we pray or kneel down and we pray. God's war requires persistent prayer every time we think about it. There is nothing that we can't not pray about. Hope I said that. We can pray about everything, but it's not easy. That's why Paul coaches us to persevere. When we want to quit, when we don't want to finish the race, when we don't want to fight because we're weary, he says, no, 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 you got to keep doing it. I need for you to keep doing it. And that's so that way we can say at the end of the race, at the end of the fight, I gave my best, I have no regrets. I gave my all. Some, maybe, one day, too, we might be able to sit here and say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. There's going to become a day where we're all looking, that time where if Jesus doesn't come back before, we're looking at our time on earth here being finished. Could you honestly say, if you had that put on your tombstone, that it's the truth? I fought the good fight. I finished the race, or I quit. I find myself quitting far too often. Satan knows how to keep me busy, so that way I do quit. 
because he knows if he can keep me busy, he can win the little battles. Maybe somebody won't hear the gospel. Maybe somebody won't get that word of encouraging prayer they need so they can go throughout their day with a little bit more peace and comfort. Maybe somebody won't get that prayer asking for healing and they stay where they are, sick, unhealthy. That's what Satan wants. But God wants us to have everything he wants for us. That might look a little bit different than what we pray for, but God knows what we need. We have to trust him with the answer when we do give those prayers, send up those prayers. So like other things, licking your elbow, persevering prayer is not impossible. It's very much doable, but we have to choose to do it. We have to choose to fight through when we want to quit. And I pray, I exhort you like Paul to pray persistently. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Don't stop at all. And when you feel like you can't say another prayer, just pray one more. And in that prayer, ask God for strength to continue praying. Find those opportunities to get down on your knees during the day. Maybe you're at school and you find a classroom that's empty or you're at work and you find that closet that's empty. You're somewhere. We find that time alone and we're just like, God, I'm at my wit's end. I can't do this anymore. I need you. And allow him to work in that battle in your life. There's one other prayer I want to mention here this morning as our musicians get ready to come up, and that is, the prayer of salvation. If you have never stopped and prayed to ask God to be your personal Savior, to forgive you of your sins, say, Lord, I, I need you. I know what I deserve is death, but what you offer me is salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. If you've not prayed that prayer, you are losing. You're losing eternity with God. And that should be pretty scary. Because that's the one prayer he wants all of us to pray. He wants us to open up our hearts and admit that we need him more than we need ourselves. But Satan's there trying to steal that from you. He's trying to keep you from experiencing that joy. He's trying to keep you from hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying into your heart right now. But if you're hearing that, today needs to be the day that you come up and pray that prayer with me, Scott, a deacon, elder. Maybe just pray it in your seat and you come up and tell us about it later. And then you can go down and be baptized and say, I've been risen anew in Jesus Christ. But it begins with that prayer. And if you've said that prayer and you're feeling defeated in life, know that your prayers should have a purpose. They're powerful. And that coming before God is oh such a privilege. And we need to treat prayer as such. And when we do, God wins the war. Thank you. We're going to close with Jesus paid it all. You can stand. <laughs>